Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel, it's been a while. And uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk a bit about using the chainmail system of combat with OD&D. Um, I think, I uh, can't remember when I first started this podcast, but I feel like I'm going full circle here. We've been away for a little while, um, partially because I've been doing more playtesting and uh, actually using the system and kind of seeing how it, uh, how it works out. I mentioned that, I guess, in the last podcast that I was, uh, that I was going to be doing that, and I did. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that and my thoughts. And I think just like every journey, right, in, uh, in the great stories that we read that inspire us, uh, this one brings me back to where I started. We're coming back into the beginning. One of the first podcasts I made here where I talked about how I like to use a variety of systems and wasn't a fan of core mechanic and during the process of starting to play out the chainmail system using OD&D, what I found myself doing was, while not sticking to a core mechanic, I definitely found myself trying to make things work using the chainmail system that maybe didn't need to. And those things are traps and exploration. I think that um, when we look at things like falling in a pit, right? Uh, they draw hit points, right? It's pretty simple if you're going to use a hit point system, you know, and uh, it's pretty simple if you're going to use a saving throw system to avoid certain things. But when you don't have those systems, how do we handle that? And I went to Chainmail and I tried to adjust or used, and this is what I'm currently doing, but I'm going to change it. I was using the troop combat system because that seemed like the most common system, figuring that most new people playing, if they could kind of master, in a sense, the troop system, they could play the game without getting into the other systems right away. It was a fast way to learn. And that, again, falls back into this idea that I was almost creating a core mechanic. And what I've come to believe now is that that's not going to work. <laughs> um, and I was just reading a, a blog, a Clerics, Clerics Royal Clerics Wear Ringmail blog by Taylor, and he was just talking about... Um, I'll put a link to it because I forget the title of it, but he was basically breaking down um, chainmail. And one thing that he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that, and I guess this is, this is obvious, I suppose, um, is that chainmail is a war game. And, and then he talks about all the different you know, aspects and stuff, and it's really, really good. You should read it. I'm not going to go into that. But what I will say is that what I got from that in my mind as I was reading it was, it was almost like Taylor was yelling at me, saying, well, in a nice way, like yelling to me, hey, Daniel, Chainmail is a war game. It's about fighting and combat. It's not about adventuring. And that's exactly it, right? We can take Chainmail and roleplay when we're playing it, but it's not the ideal system for the exploration phase necessarily. It might be fine. I mean, you can maybe make it work, but I, I can look beyond it. I can look beyond Chainmail for that because, again, I'm not tying myself down to a core mechanic. So I don't need to believe that, okay, well, we need to solve this problem in, in the game, so let me look to Chainmail to do it. Now, that worked for everything that involved combat, including the saving throws. I think that the way that I'm doing it has worked out really well. I've played a couple of games where I just tie the saving throws directly to the the monster or what's going on and that's worked out really well i just tell the players roll this, this is what you're trying to get nobody really needs to know those rules in a sense right it's just as a game master you have more control over exactly what's happening because you can simply say roll this 
you know, it's not check your sheet, tell me what your saving throw is versus this, that kind of thing. And I think that works out really well. It also makes for character creation really fast, right? You throw, you roll 3d6 down the line, pick a class, uh, look at the chart and see what your fighting capability is. You'd see what your uh, what kind of armor you have for your defend as and your attack as for your weapon, and you're done, right? You don't need to go too crazy. It's really, really fast and easy to create a character, and that's what I like in kind of a quick pay play game. But now let's talk about exploration. I'm the type of dungeon master that will very happily run multiple sessions of D&D without any combats. You know, I am all about the exploration the pillar, I think they call it in 5th edition, of play. I like the idea that the players are going through long, empty hallways and, and role-playing with each other to figure out what's going on, being, being wary of what could be coming up, avoiding monsters when they can, interacting and talking to them, you know, things they encounter in the dungeon. They don't need to fight everything, you know. It, it can be just as fun to explore a room that has all kinds of weird statues that you need to manipulate to get past. That's the type of stuff that I like to run, and... I think, anyways, my players like to play. So I do a lot of that, which means that if I'm running OD&D the way it is, there's not really any mechanic for that. And I'm not saying that you need it. I'm not going to say that you should... Like, I'm not a big fan of perception checks and those kinds of things in an OSR-type game. They're fine in the games that they're in. I mean, that's fine if that's part of the system. But in OSR, as I'll call it, or simple games or basic games, I don't want a skill system. You know, I don't want spot hidden. I don't want library check. I don't want perception. I don't want, you know, survival. What I want is the player to describe what their character can do, why they think the character should be able to do it successfully, and then a die roll to determine if they're successful that we essentially negotiate, right? I mean, if you're the DM and you say, okay, well, you're going to have to ford this river, and the, and the players say, well, how deep is it? And it's, oh, it's waist deep, but it's pretty rapid. And they say, okay, well, we're, I'm going to try to swim. You know, you might say, well, how strong are you? And then they'll tell you, and then you can say, okay, well, you're going to need to do this. Okay, your strength is uh, 15, so you're very strong. You should be able to do this. Um, so I'm going to give you, you know, a certain chance to do it in six, or you could have them roll under their attribute. You know, there's lots of different ways to do that. And I think that's part of it. There's like, okay, sorry, stop for a second. I'm hiking through the woods and was entering into a area where I was crossing people. Didn't want to be talking loud. Anyways, uh, I guess my point here is that the exploration phase of playing can be, and in my opinion, should be a different type of thing. And by trying to use the chainmail mechanic, you're essentially pushing the idea that the combat mechanic, whatever it might be, whichever of the three of them you might, you might use, right, is going to be the same mechanic for exploration, and that's not necessarily what should happen there. You know, if you're exploring and you have your, let's say you've got this, uh, your fighter, he's running from, you know, some enemies that are chasing them, they're whatever, miles behind, but, you know, he's trying to get away, and he gets this river, and you say, well, you know, it's a, it's a, the river's, he checks it, he's like, oh, it's about, it's about waist deep, it's maybe like, 15, 20 feet across, uh, it's pretty rapid, you know, and, and uh, there's lots of rocks and stuff, so if you try to swim across this, it could be dangerous. Um, what's your strength, right? You might say that, or your constitution. I, I think for a short distance, I probably use strength, right? What's your strength? Okay, well, my strength is 15. All right, well, that's really good. 
I'll give you a 50-50 chance. Let's say roll a d6, one through three, you make it. And then the player says, well, hold on. I'm carrying with me some gear. I have an ax. Is there a tone of tree around that I can quickly cut down and make a bridge? And you determine if that seems realistic or not, right? I wouldn't roll for that, right? You're just going to decide as a DM. Yeah, there is actually. It's going to be noisy and slow you down, but you certainly can do it. And then the player might say, well, if I do that, what's my chances? Well, if you do that, you can definitely get across 100%, no problem. Now they've got to weigh their odds, right? Do they want to take a 50-50 chance that they might get bashed against the rocks and, and get pushed downstream or whatever bad thing might happen to them? Or do they want to take the time where the option is, okay, the enemy might hear you or probably will hear you because you're chopping down a tree, which is not going to be quiet. Okay, and this is basically how exploration works in my mind. This is the same, I mean, I'm just use that. <laughs> I use the idea of the river and the tree because I'm walking through the woods. But, you know, the, the idea is the same, whether they're, they're, you know, looking at a trap, possibly on a chest or whatever you want to look at, right? It's like, oh, well, the chest is closed. Um, you know, well, is, it, is there a trap? I mean, you don't know. Okay, well, what if I smash the top open or I flip the chest over, right? Well, if there's something fragile inside, it might break, right? And that's kind of the, the risk. And again, at playing OD&D, you can just simply say that's how you do it. And that's all fine. And that's probably, and that is what I do. However, when it comes to things that cross those lines, so let's say, for instance, you have something like a pit trap, right? Now you've got something that is not a combat encounter, but it also can do damage. It can potentially kill the PC, right? So you need to figure out how you're going to handle that. Because if you do what I was originally thinking, which is use troop combat, that's fine. You can do that. And actually, it did work out fine. I mean, I tried a couple times. But... I think the better way to do it is to come up with a different mechanic that handles that. And while this might seem like a lot of work, I think that people generally, especially if you're coming from later editions, you're used to basically looking at a monster manual and it tells you all the goodness about every one of the, the monsters and what they do and what their moves are and how you can roll them and this and that, you know, layer actions and stuff like that for your, your bigger monsters. But the reality is with a game like OD&D with Chainmail, or probably OD&D in general, it is so easy to make your own monsters because all you really need is what they attack as, what they defend as, and the number of hit dice. You know, the rest of it can then be flavored as you like, and you can really just say, so if you're making, let's say, a, a creature that breathes fire, let's say a dragon, you can basically have what it attacks as, has what it defends as, any special things it might have, how many hit dice it has, and then you might say, okay, well, this dragon breathes fire, so how do I work that out? Right? And this is essentially now its own mechanic, right? A dragon's fire breath is a mechanic that's separate from the other mechanics. It uses essentially a saving throw, right? That's generally how we do it. And if you fail the saving throw, you take half damage. And if you pass, you take full damage. And the damage might be, let's say in the case of if we're using the system that I've developed, you're basically using hit dice. So now we've actually, without it even seeming like we've done that, we've actually created a, a mini system. So let's talk quickly about, well, I don't know quickly. Nothing quickly happens there. Oops, I just dropped my water bottle. Um, let's talk quickly about what I'm thinking about doing for pit traps. And uh, maybe you guys can have some uh, call in, let me know what you think of this, um, and that kind of thing. Uh, by the way, I should say this before. For anybody who has called in that I haven't replied to, I have a bunch of call ins that people did, and I actually have some other little things that I recorded that I just didn't put published because I didn't take the time to uh, uh, kind of go through and edit it. And that's what made me do this today. By the way, this is we're going raw today, so you're going to hear some. <laughs> some things like my water bottle dropping. I'm just recording, again, I'm going full circle. I'm back to the beginning. I'm recording directly into my phone using the Anchor app. I'm not uh, using Audacity or anything. So if it doesn't sound quite as good, that's why. But I figure it's better to get a, a, 
something out to you than to keep waiting until I could sit in front of my computer with the, the fancy mic um, going. I don't know if you can hear that or not, but I'm actually near West Point uh, in New York, and uh, they're doing training, and something just blew up. So, anyways. So, what I've been thinking is, so, the, the basic mechanic for a pit trap would be something like this. You look at the depth of your pit trap, okay? So, let's say that we have a 20-foot deep pit trap. Now, we're going to say that that's going to be pretty challenging for a first-level character. I mean, let's think about any game. If you're a first-level, even a fighter in uh, OD&D, so you've got two, uh, you've got one plus one hit die. So, and again, it's like D6 is for hit dice. So I'm talking about original D&D, not in my system. The most hit points you can have is seven, right? If you're going to roll two D6 when you fall in a 20-foot pit, seven is the average number that you're going to get. So you are very likely to die if you fall into a 20-foot pit as a first-level fighter. So what I thought was, okay, let's look, let's look at that as a, in a way we can break it down with like simple, relatively simple math and mechanics. And what I decided was, we're going to take the depth of the pit and we're going to divide it by 10 because pits are always in 10 and 20-foot uh, depths for some reason. They're never like 15, you know. But then you're going to look at that number and you're going to compare it to your character's level or their hit dice. I think the hit dice is probably the best way to do it, but you could do it level however you want to do it. So let's say that we're going to do it to hit dice. Now I've got, you compare that. So you take your 20-foot pit, you divide by 10, it's 2. 2 is greater than 1 plus 1. So if the uh, the pit, let's say, uh, danger rating, we'll call it, I'm making this up on the spot, the danger rating of the pit is 2, the fighter is only 1. So if the danger rating is greater than uh, your character level, you're going to roll 1d6 plus 6, and you're going to refer to this chart that I've started to make. I've used it on other things before. It's essentially a chart like you might use for critical hits and stuff like that, where like, you know, you get knocked down, you drop stuff, that kind of thing, right? So if you if you were a second level fighter, then you would just roll a d6. So essentially the mechanic works out that if the danger rating of the pit or trap or whatever is greater than your your character hit dice, then you roll um, a d6 plus six. And if it is the same or lower, you just roll a d6. And basically the first six items should not be anything that will kill you. So the, the worst one, number six, right, should be maybe some damage. Um, but again, we're not using hit points in this system, so I'm, I'm using ability score damage as my kind of standard for any of this kind of odd stuff. So let's say you fall in a pit. Um, you know, you're going to have, like, number six might be uh, you twist your ankle, um, you know, lose uh, one point of dexterity. And again, all this stuff would be healed over time. Let's say, though, that you rolled a 10, right? Let's say you, you, it was above your level and you rolled a 10. That might be that you broke your arm and now... You know, you you can't attack or whatever. You know, whatever the thing might be. Um, I don't have the list in front of me, so I can't tell you. But I made 14 items. Number 14 is instant death. And you might be saying, "But you can't roll a 14, Daniel." I know. So the one other thing I added to this mechanic is because I want it to feel like luck in a sense, right? I don't want it to feel as swingy, uh, like Rob talked about swingy in his his uh, last podcast, uh, the podcast. Uh, I want it to feel like this is building up, right? You only got so many pits you can fall in before you're going to break your neck, Daniel, right? Is kind of what you're thinking. So if you, every time you roll on this table, so not the first time, but every time after that, you will add one. So let's say this is a third pit that you fell in. You would roll a D6 plus three and, uh, or no, plus two, I guess. So that would be, um, you know, so you, that's how you get the higher numbers. So it's unlikely unless you roll really terrible on a pit that's, uh, that's you know above your level it's very very unlikely that you will just die 
So it is a little bit more forgiving than the standard hit point system. So you can, if you want to use this, I'll probably write up a PDF or something. I don't think I'll stick it to the bottom of this one because I'm probably going to podcast this from my phone, but I will eventually put it in my little, uh, um, my little Google Drive that has that stuff. And actually, if you, I'll try to put a link to that if I can. Um, and then eventually, if you go there, you'll see it. Uh, it's going to just be a little chart with this mechanic on it. So essentially, you're going to go everywhere from number one being like if you basically, it's the first time you did it, the pit is below your level, you roll a one on the D6, that's something like, you know, that just pissed you off, right? <laughs> um, you know, if you if you roll a two, maybe it's like, oh, you 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 fall on your butt and you drop what's in your hand. So you're gonna have this build up, and it might seem like a lot to do. And, and I know that sometimes when people are starting campaigns or or running games, like they prefer to have all these charts for them. But for me, anyways, part of the fun of of starting a new campaign or doing anything is creating all this stuff, the random tables, the charts, whatever. So, you know, it doesn't take that long to use. And again, you can uh, access the one I'm gonna put out there for you. But that would be how I would handle, let's say, falling in a pit. And again, you could use this same mechanic for, let's say, a poison needle trap, right? You could put a danger rating on the trap. Let's say that, let's say the danger rating for any poison, let's say you're doing a mega dungeon, the danger rating for any poison might be the level of dungeon you're in. So if you're in the third level of a dungeon, but you crept down there as a first level character, and you go ahead and, uh, ooh, ants, and you go ahead and you uh, spring a trap and you get stung by the poison needle, well, guess what? You're rolling a, a D6 plus six, and you know the results will be adjudicated as necessary. Um, so people are coming and walking. I'm actually going to stop the recording so we don't get a bunch of people walking by. And also, there's a bunch of ants here. Okay, so got away from those kids. Um, let's see where we're at. That's basically what I want to cover for the most part. I will say, by the way, that um, the adjudicating of finding the pit trap or finding the poison needle you would go back to what I originally talked about. I'm not saying that if you are, let's say lower level than the, the pit, you just fall in automatically, obviously. That's that's part of the exploration. Finding the the trap is gonna be one of those things where you're like, I'm using a 10 foot pole, I'm tapping on the ground, I'm you know looking for cracks in the floor. You know, I, I'm looking inside the, the keyhole to see if there's a needle in there. You know, that kind of stuff. So that's basically a different mechanic. I just don't wanna make it sound like the, like the traps auto spring. That's kind of uh, how I would do it though. And I will, like I said, throw this up, try to put a PDF up there. I'm uh, gonna try to be more active here. This is my New Year's resolution, although it's not New Year's, it's Juneteenth, but um, we'll call it Juneteenth resolution. And uh, what we're gonna do is try to get up. There's several things that I wanna talk about. Um, Rob from uh, Down in the Heap had responded to one of my call-ins about why I choose uh, BX versus Swords and Wizardry for certain things and Swords and Wizardry versus BX for certain things. So I think that, that got me thinking. <laughs> so uh, things that get me thinking are good. So I think I'm going to talk about that possibly in the next podcast and just finished a really fun adventure with uh, Any Goodman is the Keeper, some Call of Cthulhu Pulp. It's the first time I played Pulp and I am on the record as not being a Call of Cthulhu fan. So um, I did enjoy it. I'll give you that as a spoiler, but I want to talk a little bit about Pulp and the... Uh, my experience with and that kind of stuff. So as we're kind of getting, I guess, closer to what you might call completion on this chainmail thing, I'm going to more and more uh, start covering other topics uh, that interest me. I think that's why I haven't been, oop, car's gonna come by, so. Uh, why I haven't been uh, podcasting as much 
is because I'm trying to wrap up the chainmail thing. So I think you'll see more from me or hear more from me, I should say, in the future. If you don't know, by the way, I mean, I'm assuming that you probably do, um, is I do have a YouTube channel as well, also under Bandit's Keep. I tend to post more frequently there, although, like I said, I'm going to try to mix it up a little bit. So if you uh, like to watch things on YouTube, uh, go ahead and follow me there. And uh, I'll see you next time. Boy, that was a terrible closure because my phone's not out and I can't actually stop it. And I'll see you next time.